Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Jessica Williams, who is the Vice President of People at Refine Labs. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, I'm so excited to be here and chat with you. I am excited for this conversation, so let's just get to it. Tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yeah, so that's always such a fun question because I always have a thousand things I want to say. So um, as you said, Jessica Williams, Vice President of People, um, I think on a personal level, I'm in the middle of like, I just relocated from Dallas to Las Vegas. Wow. I'm getting married in nine weeks. Oh my gosh. Um, but like on top of everything else in my work life, like personal life is, you know, this has been the year of change for me, um, which I think speaks to also my career and all the things that I'm doing there. So as the VP of People, I work for a small startup. So, you know, startup, AKA early stage company. And so I was one of the first people that they hired in the people department. So um, literally coming in from scratch to build it from the ground up, which is what I prefer. Um, I've worked at larger companies. It really was just not for me. And so that's kind of my main thing right now is I really love culture development. I want to be all into how are people, how do people feel? Um, I, when I talk to people about like HR, they're like, oh, compliance. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want anything to do with compliance. I want to talk to employees. I want to know what's going on, how we can help, what's employee engagement. Do people feel well? Are they psychologically safe? I talk about mental health a lot with our employees, which is very uh, non-traditional HR, but I, I bring it up a lot because I think it's really important. So those are some of the things that are on my radar right now, and I'm excited for this chat. Yeah, it was interesting when you said you prefer starting from scratch because that can be very intimidating. Um, you know, it's just a blank page and you get to write down. <laughs> you get to have that first pen stroke. So um, what do you enjoy about it? Yeah, for me, I think I've been at organizations where it is very hard to um, fix a culture once it's been tarnished. And I say that very explicitly because I've been places where the perception of people ops was so negative that it would take years to get to gain people's trust again, to write new policies. And so for me, I love coming in when it's a blank slate. So when I started here, we only had 40 people. There was no people operations. And so now we have over 100 people. I've been here a year. And so we're growing leaps and bounds. But I love the like the blank page, like because to me, it's you can do anything. You can go anywhere. But to your point, it can be overwhelming because there's so many things that need to be done. Um, but I prefer that over being at a larger company with a lot of red tape. Um, a lot of things are like boxed in and people have their own perception of what people ops is supposed to do. I would consider myself like the anti-HR HR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any interest in like... Um, I see a lot of policies that are made for the exception. So, for example, when I rolled out that we were going to have unlimited PTO, people take what they need. We don't ask questions. If you're out for physical or mental health, we don't ask any questions. The first thing I said is, oh, my God, what if somebody abuses that? And my response is, well, then they shouldn't work here. So I don't I'm not going to write a policy for that one person that's going to abuse it when we have everybody else that's doing what they're supposed to do. So that's like one example of like, I no, I don't want to write policies for the exceptions. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's usually just one person and why should you punish everyone else? 
Yeah. So, you know, then starting from scratch, what are some key areas that you want to focus on and organize first? The biggest one is understanding the business. And I think a lot of times this is where uh, people ops gets it wrong. It's I have had this. I have, have, have had to also evolve and change my own mind. I used to say, oh, HR is HR. You could do HR anywhere. And that is true, but you also need to understand the business. So for example, I've worked for a financial company. I worked in telehealth. Um, I'm now at Refine Labs, which is a marketing company. But when I started here, I, I didn't know marketing. So the first step is actually understanding the business. So I met, like I said, at 40 people. So I met with all 40 people one-on-one on, one on one, to understand what was their job here, why were they here, and all of those things. So trust is a big factor, but I, I put trust in understanding the business together because that's how you're going to get the trust that you need. Um, and then the leadership team was very important to me. So when I interviewed, um, talking to my CEO about what was his expectations, what was his perceptions of HR, because I know that people have historical, like, you know, this, like, oh, she's me know, or she's here to get in the way. So even fighting those stereotypes, but even just talking about it. So even speaking, frankly, of like, what has been your perception? This is how I'm different. This is what I want to do is very helpful. But learning the business and understanding what, you know, the people dynamics is the first part, because if you don't understand the business, then they're not going to trust you when you roll out policies. And this has happened to me in past employers where I came in guns a blazing and was like, I know what I'm doing. We're scrapping all these policies. And I really had no historical context of why things were put in place. And I didn't really try to learn. And it, it shot me in the foot. Yeah. And I love what I love most is that you took the time to connect with 40 different people. That's a lot on your plate. So tell me how you tackled that and why it was so important to you. Yeah, those were some long days. <laughs> But it was important to me within my first six weeks on the job that I spoke to every single person that was there. Because in a small startup, one person, and it doesn't matter who they are, I call them the influencers. So these are the people who, it doesn't matter what their title is, they have influence because maybe they've been there from the beginning. Maybe they have a special skill. Um, maybe they are just influential with other people. Other people listen to them. And we had several of those people. And I was trying to find out who they were because everyone has an opinion, but I also wanted to understand, okay, who knows who, who's doing what. Um, I wanted to understand if there were any clicks and all of those things, which are, there wasn't. Um, but I, I needed to understand the dynamic of it. And so the reason I did this is I, I think at one point I was doing like five to six meetings a day outside of like the work I was doing, just talking to people. And it was just a Zoom of like, hey, I want to get to know you. And I had some key questions that I was asking, like, why did you join this company? Kind of why have you stayed? So in essence, I was almost doing a stay interview with them. Like, why are you here? Um, what is enticing you? And then what do you want out of this business? Because when most people join an early stage company, they like being in a small environment. And as you grow, they start to say, well, uh, it's not like it was. It's not small anymore. And that's kind of what happened as we got over 100 people. You know, those people that were here from the beginning started to feel a little bit uneasy. So it was just important for me to understand them and for them to get to know me, too. So not just one sided, but I wanted them to know me and to know that I was approachable and that they could come talk to me. Um, we talked a lot about like people that have animals and kids and you know what I mean? Like yeah. went down all those avenues, but it was also important for them to know me. Yeah, that is really awesome. Um, and so what's the result been like? You've been there for a year. Uh, what's the culture been like as you've built it up? 
Yeah. So a year in, I'm like, it's funny because this morning I woke up and I was like, oh my God, a year ago, I was so nervous. It was literally like my first day and I I couldn't even like, I couldn't sleep. I was so nervous. And now I look at the culture that we built and I'm really proud. Um, One of the first things that I did was write, like from those conversations was write a culture playbook. So write, what do we want the culture to be like here? So not a handbook. So it's not policy driven. It's very much like, this is what it's like to work here. Here. These are our core values. This is what we will accept. This is what we won't accept. Um, and so that is something that has helped with recruiting. Uh, we update it every six months. So uh, it also is helping keep us accountable. Like, is this true for us? Um, and so one of the great things that I love about our culture is that we, with everything that has gone on in the world, when I think about like DNI and me being a black woman, it is very important to me that I speak about these things. And this is probably the first company that I've been at where I could honestly speak up about certain things and say like, hey, we need support or we need help. Um, so I'll give you an example. When the situation, the shooting happened in Buffalo in the grocery store, the very next day, my CEO called me and my COO and we said, listen, we're going to tell people they need to take time off. So we sent out a mass message and said, everybody, if you need to take time off. And then we also had, we held a meeting for people that were not people of color that consider themselves to be allies so that they could talk and not cause more harm to people of color and ask questions and like think through what happened. So that was an example of like a, when that happened, I was like, oh, the culture, this is what we wanted. This is what we wanted people to feel supported. We wanted people to be able to take time off and be honest about their mental health and to speak about it with each other. And that was just an example of like being in a traumatic situation, but that is when your culture truly shines. Yeah. And you mentioned that was the first time you've really ever had that opportunity to be heard. What was it like to finally be heard in your career in that way? It felt almost surreal, I'll be honest. And I'll I'll put this in context and say, you know, two, almost, you know, three years when the George Floyd situation happened, I went to work the next day like nothing happened. Nobody spoke about it. Nobody said a thing. Um, I actually, at one point, I think I went in the bathroom and I cried and nobody acknowledged that anything was going on in the world. So that was the, that was my lived experience then was that I was just meant to act like nothing happened and keep on, keep it moving versus now where I feel like I could say, I need to take time off. Like this is traumatic and it's affecting me. And so the leadership makes the biggest difference. So I will say my leader, I report to the COO and I truly, truly know that I can speak to her and be honest and tell her what's going on. Uh, Whereas before that would just not have been acceptable. I'm really, really happy you're in that position now. Congratulations. (laughs) It's really awesome to hear. Um, And I know that, you know, past experiences, some of those, those toxic rough experiences really shaped, you know, who you are today and what kind of opportunities you seek out. Um, So do you mind sharing a little bit about how those shaped you? Absolutely. So I tell my team this a lot is that I learned how to be a good leader from people that were not good leaders to me. And that's it's a hard truth, but it is the truth. I this is actually like it's funny now looking back, you know how you have these stories or you're going through stuff and then looking back, it's funny. So I once had this leader who um, just 
I, as I look back, I think she just, she moved up the ranks and she never was taught like how to be a leader. So actually now that I look back, I don't think it's at her own fault. I think the the company is what failed the situation, but we would be in situations where things would happen. And I kept a little notebook, like I love to write. And so I literally had a page in this notebook that says things I will not do when I'm a manager. And I would write, I'm not going to yell at someone in front of other people. I'm not going to degrade someone because they said something wrong. I'm not like, and so everything that she would do to me, I would go and I would write it in this notebook and say, when I'm a leader, I'm not going to do this to someone. Um, And so I'm probably, and I've moved, but I probably still have that notebook somewhere. I'm going to try to find it because I'd be an amazing LinkedIn post. But (laughs) um, I learned, like I said, I had this whole concept of like, this is not how leadership is supposed to be. And when someone reports to me, I want them to feel safe. I want them to not be micromanaged. I'm going to trust them to do their job. And I'm going to be what they need me to be in the moment. And I, I see myself as a leader that's a coach. So I'm here to coach you and guide you, but I trust you to do your job. And I think that's what was lacking was a sense of trust. And that's what most people end up with when they have micromanagers is just someone that doesn't trust them. And so, and I've been in that situation and I don't want other people to feel that way. So yeah, it was, it's been a long road of like seeing what I didn't want, you know, and that's how I ended up being the leader that I am now. And I, you know, I guess I could toot my own horn. I think I'm an amazing leader. (laughs) (laughs) Toot that horn, do it. (laughs) But it, it was a long road. And like I said, it took a lot of just me seeing what, what was done to me that I didn't feel was right. Mm -hmm. I feel a lot of, you know, people within a certain generation, whether it's millennial, Gen Z, are really looking inward and comparing, you know, how is this person treating me versus what kind of person do I want to be? Um, I feel that's really, really key to those two generations um, of reevaluating that and saying like, I, I'm not going to take this or I'm going to not act like this. Would you agree that, you know, that's a very millennial Gen Z trend? Yes. And I'm a millennial. So I'll say I, I definitely think that way and that I don't think that the whole acknowledgement of like someone being your boss and they're telling you what to do and all of that. I just don't see those dynamics working out. And one of my favorite quotes is you can tell the difference between a leader and a boss and how they respond when you disagree with them. And so it's funny because I actively encourage my team to disagree with me. So if I, I throw out an idea, I will say, who disagrees? And let's talk about it because I want to understand. And they've changed my mind before. They have 100% said, oh no, this is why this wouldn't work. And I'm like, okay, great. I know that in my younger career, I could never do that. And so I want people to be able to disagree with me, no matter my title, VP, it doesn't matter. Be able to disagree with me because people disagree, but they disagree quietly in organizations where they can't actually speak up. And I I just don't think that that's the right thing to do. So as a millennial, I can definitely say I've looked at like traditional, this is what a boss does and this is how a boss acts. And I basically said, I don't believe in any of that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, you know, I, I'm a millennial as well. And, you know, I, I just question a lot. Why? Why is it that way? Why? Why don't we praise people for doing their jobs? Like, I feel like that's a big um, workplace cliche. Why should you get praised for the job that you're doing? Well, because we're all humans. That's yeah, because why. you showed up. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to show up. <laughs> 
Yes. Like, especially in 2022. Yeah. Like most, I, you know, you've probably seen the signs where it's like, people are so short staff, like be nice to the people that are here. That's what I think that too. Like people are not showing up. So for the people that actually show up, be kind. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk about, you know, one thing that you're trying to incorporate, I know you're working toward a four day work week, that's not 100% um, implementing yet. But I know summer Fridays have been really big for you as well. Yes. So we have, uh, we had after Labor Day, we were just finished our summer Fridays. So basically during the summer, we had every other Friday off. And then on Fridays, we have no meeting Fridays. So we encourage our team that like on Fridays, do what you need to do. Most of the time, our team is working like half days on Fridays. Like if you look on on Slack after about 12, one o'clock, a lot of people aren't on there. Um, But we encourage them to get everything they need to do done in the four days. And our goal, we would really like to go move towards a four day work week next year. And so that's why we did the the summer Fridays every other Friday off and we have the no meeting Friday. So we're, we're going that direction. The only, I would say, issue that we're still trying to work out is like we do have client facing team members and some of our clients, the best time that they can meet might be on a Friday. And so we want to be mindful of like, how could this work for that team member versus like my team, you know, our clients, our internal employees. So we're still trying to work that part out and try to see what we can do there. But we would ideally love to just do a four day work week. Yeah. And I love that you know, people are going in that direction. For me personally, I've implemented a no Friday meeting rule just because I'm very project based. So I like that time. So I can have a kick off a great Monday, you know, get everything prepared. So being able to offer employees that is is really wonderful. And I've never had that before. When I started here, um, ironically, it was funny because the one of our operations team members went, she puts it on everybody's calendar. So she basically blacks out everybody's calendar. And so my first week here, she blacked out my calendar on Friday. And I thought, am I going to a conference? Like, why is this all? (laughs) And then I read it and I was like, oh, I don't have to go to meetings all day. (laughs) Yeah, that's a favor. I love it. (laughs) And you also mentioned, um, you know, when we spoke previously that you're focused on holistic culture. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very important and it's very millennial of me to be like, I want to make sure people are well in all areas. So when we think about physical health, obviously offering the the right benefits for the demographic of people that you're serving. So one of the things for us is that we are a young company. So our average age here is around 31. So what that means is that we have a lot of babies on the way. (laughs) We literally like having like a baby boom over here. And part of that is our demographic. And so thinking about what does that mean? Like, are we offering the best benefits for people that are in that stage of their life? Also, when it comes to mental health, we're looking at adding um, modern health, which is a group therapy. People can talk to psychiatrists, psychologists, all of those good things, um, because we realize that a lot of people are intimidated by going to one-on-one therapy, but are more open to going to group therapy sessions and based on different topics or things that they um, identify with. So we are looking at joining that as well. And then also just thinking about like holistic, making sure like when we talk about exercise, are we allowing our employees, we encourage them, like we have one employee, shout out to Devin, who is loves yoga and Jordan, she's a yoga teacher. And we have incorporated that into our offsite. So we did like a yoga class. Um, we encourage them to go to yoga in the day. So uh, 
Devin goes to yoga during lunch and we encourage her to talk about that. So it's not meant to be like a shameful, like, oh, she's taking time off to go do yoga. No, like, let's talk about it. And like, you should go do yoga or you should go for a walk or do something. So we try to be activity based in that everyone get out, get up from your desk, go do something, even if it's during the day. Um, and I tell this funny story about um, I encourage my team members to take naps because <laughs> I love and I'm like one of those people that literally can close my eyes for 30 minutes, wake up and be like, it's a new day. Like I feel refreshed. And recently I had a uh, meeting with one of my one-on-ones in the meeting. She said, oh, I just woke up from a nap. And I sat there and I thought, oh my God, I just love this. I could have never said that to anybody, especially that I just woke up from a nap. And she was like, I feel so much better. I have meetings this afternoon. I'm so ready. And I was just like, wow, like this, this is amazing. <laughs> now, my job is to tell other people that I think some people would say, oh my God, like, no, they're supposed to be working and it's the, these are the hours, and, but I don't believe that. Yeah. And, you know, going back to generational, I feel like millennials are the first generation that really had our time accessible. You know, we were graduating around the time um, the iPhone was released. Um, you know, we were available. So, I feel like we are wanting to know what it's like to have a break between work because we kind of just, oh, the phone's on or the phone's, you know, I'm getting a little, a a ping. Someone's calling me. It's 8 p.m. I need to, to look at this. So I feel like being one of the first generations that have had our attention pulled in all directions, we're kind of pushing back like we're seeing, you know, you are right now, myself and other people in our generation. Yeah, I am all about that. And I actually also encourage my team to not have their email or their Slack on their phone. Nice. Yeah, like I literally tell them, don't delete the apps. I don't have them on my phone. Like I don't have my work emails on my phone. Like I ref- I'm not going to do it because I will respond. And I know I have to set strong boundaries. So one of my boundaries is that I don't have anything to do with work on my cell phone. So when I'm working, I'm working. I sit down like I'm at my computer. But when I get up and I like leave this room, I, I don't I'm not working. So um, now, mind you, they have not all listened to me. Some of them cannot let it go, um, but I encourage them to delete the apps. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And to hear it from someone in leadership is is very encouraging and validating as well, because I feel like a lot of employees do try to set those boundaries for themselves, but it ends up they, they get in trouble or it's not taken well. And I, I just don't like that. No. And the first time I actually told my team, I was like, somebody, I think it was like someone said, oh, I emailed you. And I was like, oh, um, I didn't see it yet. And they're like, oh, like, isn't it on your phone or something? And I was like, oh, wait, no, I don't have my emails on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so let's talk more about boundaries because you require um, staff and employees to take a week every six months, right? Yes, we have. So I believe that unlimited PTO is an amazing thing if it has mandatory, you know, things that people need to do. Because if not, then it becomes of like, oh, if leadership isn't taking it or if they're not modeling the right behavior, then employees aren't going to do it. So we said we're going to have mandatory limits or mandatory minimums. So people have to take at least two weeks every year. So what happens is every six months, my we run a report. So my... Um, operations manager will run a report in our system and we'll pull it and we'll say, oh, this person hasn't taken any time off and we will call them. 
Um, I will call them or she will call them and we will see what's going on. Why haven't you taken time off? And if we have to, we've even gone as far as giving somebody suggestions and saying, okay, what about if you do a staycation? Because they're like, oh, I can't leave. What about a staycation? What if you just take a day off and watch Netflix? Or what if you just take a day off and go do something that you like to do, but you must take a day off? So yeah, we uh, really enforced it. We every I run reports all the time. And another thing that we do is it comes from the leadership team. So for example, when anyone on the leadership team goes on vacation, I ask them to put the like take photos and put them in our Slack channel so that they are modeling the behavior that we want to see, that they are taking time off, that they're not emailing people when they're on vacation. They're not calling people. They are truly out with their family or whoever they're going to be with. And we're putting photos. So, for example, our CEO is about to go on a trip to Europe. I've already advised him. I need at least three photos. <laughs> uh, you know, photos so we can put them in the Slack channel. Um, and so we want to model that behavior that please take time off and be well. Um, and yeah, we it's mandatory. Yeah. And I, I really love the mandatory aspect because I feel that it can be a little complicated. Um, you know, like you said, if leadership doesn't model it, you know, you can also, and I've learned stats that Sometimes people take less time off if it's unlimited and there's not mandatory because of they're intimidated by that leadership. So I, I love the, the mandatory requirement. It's it's so awesome. And yeah, it kudos has to you. Thank you. Like when we think about it, I was like, OK, well, if we make it where they have to take it, because to your point, I have worked at a place where it was unlimited, but nobody took it because it was a, it was almost shameful to be like, oh, no, you don't want to be the person taking it. Um, and it's like, well, why would you even have it then? And so that was from that experience, I thought, OK, we're going to do it different. We're going to have it and encourage people to take it. But also we're going to set it to where you have to take it so that we encourage people, because if not, some people will think, oh, well, I just you know, I don't have anywhere to go or there's not something going on in their life. And I'll give an example. I'm getting married in November. I'm taking three weeks off. Awesome. I, I'm getting married. I'm going on my honeymoon. I'm like, and it was not even a question when I put the time in that like, Hey, basically I'm taking all of November off. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so I just that like, Hey, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. And it just happens that it's like by the holidays. So it kind of works out timing wise to be around Thanksgiving and all of that. But um, yeah, that's like the perfect example of, you know, life happens and this is been in my life and I'm going to take time off for it. <laughs> and congratulations too. I mean, it must be so wonderful to know that you can have these huge life moments and not have to stress or prioritize one or yeah, try to balance both at once. Yes, absolutely. It, it was funny because originally I was only going to take like a week and a half off and I was talking to my COO and she said, Oh, when I got married, I took three weeks off. And I thought, Oh, I could take three weeks off. And, and mind you, I'm a VP and I'm thinking like, oh, I could do that too. You know, so that it just, the behavior has to be modeled and it has to come from a leadership team. Even for me, I needed my leader to tell me, why are you, why wouldn't you take three weeks off? And I'm like, oh, I don't know why not, you know? <laughs> right. Um, that's, I'm really, I'm so happy for you. Um, so we have a few minutes left and what I want to focus on on these next two minutes are, is your North Star because I think that is so important. So could you share what your company's North Star is? Yeah. So our North Star is when we think about DNI, it's very important to us. We've set some goals 
is that we want to be, we call it a 50-50 goal. So we want to be at least 50% women and 50% professionals of color. Um, we have actually reached the women's goal. So we are at 60%, the organization is 60% women or non or people that identify as non-binary. Um, and our diversity goal as professionals of color, we still have some ways to go. But our North Star is we want to be 50%. And the the baseline for this is that we want to reflect the America because we are fully dispersed. So we are in the U.S. and Canada. So the goal we set was that we want to look like America and America is very diverse. And so that's why we set these 50-50 goals. That's really, really awesome. Jessica, this has been such an awesome conversation. I, I'm so lucky to get to know people like you through this podcast and know that um, there are people out there taking care of each other and making the workplace better. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to add or like our audience to know? I, would, I think the last thing I would say is that if you think that there's a different way to do something, then just try it. Because I can tell you right now, if I would have mentioned some of my ideas or the things that I'm doing, you know, five, 10 years ago when I started my career, people would have thought I was crazy. And maybe I am because I think that it can be done a different way. And so that that would be the last thing that I say. If, if you think something can be done a different way, just because it's always been that way means nothing. Try something new. When people think of HR, they normally think of transactional compliance. And that's all that's like the anti what I want to be doing. And so I have taken it all the way to the other side of I think of innovation. I think of culture development. Um, I think of training and development. So think of everything differently just because it's the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the way that it has to continue. And if people want to contact you, I know that you enjoy LinkedIn. Um, I love there, LinkedIn. Yeah. I that's probably the easiest way to contact me is on LinkedIn. So if you type in Jessica Williams Refine Labs, you can find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. If you or anyone you know uh, is like Jessica who wants to make the workplace better, feel free to reach out to me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening to Steph Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.